Welcome to Messages and More, a podcast channel of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. This channel plays our weekly sermons and other content relevant to our church community. I feel a little bit like I should start this morning by saying it's been a quiet week in Lake Wobegon, my hometown up on the edge of the prairie. For those that remember Garrison Keeler, how he would start every one of his talks, because what proceeded after that Is that the right word? No, I think that's the wrong word. But anyway, what happened after that was never a quiet week. It was always jammed full of chaos and stuff. And I feel like that's where we are. Uh, I feel like we've had a couple of of full weeks here between a wedding yesterday and a game feed today and a funeral last week and uh, a March Madness that shall not be mentioned. Um, I'm in last place. Tied for last place with somebody else who shall not be mentioned. My son is tied for first or second. So it's been a rough week. Been a lot going on. Um, But for those of you that are new and that are visiting, I'm Bruce Drugsma. I'm the senior pastor here. But we are uh, coming to a spot. We're coming to the end. We've been looking at Hebrews. We've been talking about limitless. We're wrapping up the book of Hebrews today. And there's, there's been uh, a lot of, of talk through this as we've been going. For some, it's, it's felt like a really short series. For others, it's felt really long. Um, but it's, it's coming to its end. It's wrapping up. And, and I think I've already shared this about myself, but I am a Star Wars fan. I have been since I was in middle school, high school. And, uh, uh, you know, kind of grew up with, you know, the only three being episodes four, five, and six. Um, And they were already out, and they were out on video, and so I got introduced to them at my friend's house where we could just pop them in the VCR and and watch them whenever we felt like it. And so I want to share a clip this morning from one of them that I think will help kind of set our our tone for how we wrap up. And if you've not seen any of them, I feel like they've been out long enough now that I can't get in trouble for sharing a spoiler, but spoiler alert for those that haven't maybe seen him. But I feel like this is a pretty well-known scene that most of you, whether you've seen it or not, have probably seen. I am the father. I am your father, Darth Vader says. And, and I, I share that clip because I learned recently a, a, a little bit about that scene. Um, one, for those that, that remember the movie in the theater, when you saw that, that was... I don't want to say life altering, but that was a big deal. It shifted everything. Well, what I learned is that it was such a secret. So, and, and this is, okay, bear with me. This is a little bit of my Star Wars geekiness coming out. But the guy who played Darth Vader is different than the guy who did the voice for Darth Vader. They were separate people. So they overdubbed all of the lines. So the person acting is different than the person who's doing the voice. The person acting didn't know what line was being said there. When they filmed the scene, the only one in the scene who knew what the actual line would be is the guy playing Luke. The guy in the Darth Vader suit actually said, Obi-Wan killed your father, which is an entirely different thing. And so aside from three people, I think maybe four, 
the producer, the director, Mark Hamill, and maybe one other person, knew the actual line. The rest of the cast was kept in the dark until the movie came out in the theater. Can you imagine being in a movie, an actor, and you're the actor saying the line, and you're waiting for the line to be said, and a different line gets said in the movie theater, and your entire world shifts. And then the other thing that I realized is when I saw that, my friend showed me that clip and he it didn't even watch the screen. He was watching me to see my reaction. And then after I went, no, now what? And he went, now we watch the next one. And he stuck it in. And we started watching Return of the Jedi. You poor uh, people that saw it live had to wait three years to answer the now what. It came out in 1980, the sequel, Return of the Jedi, that answered the question, now what, came out in 1983. I'm sorry for those of you that had to sit and wait for three years. And we forget that in today's day and age of Netflix and binge watching and subscription services. I listen to a lot of podcasts and so many of them now are like, you can hear all six episodes of this season by buying a subscription to blah, 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 blah. Right? We don't have to wait. We, we, get the, we get the therefore statement right away. What happens next? Oh, that's what happens next. We don't have to wait. And I think we can get into this temptation of, of, of skipping over significant endings because we know the next thing is just gonna happen. And as we get to the end of Hebrews here, don't skip over it. There's a temptation when we read, especially the epistles, the letters in the New Testament, at the end, they do all these greetings. Paul is famous for these greetings. Greet this person, and greet that person, and greet this person, and greet that person. And we start to see them the same way we do the genealogies in the Old Testament. And so-and-so begot so-and-so, and so-and-so, and we're just like, yeah, yeah, and a bunch of people had kids. Great. And we move on. And we go, yeah, 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 greet a bunch of people, and we move on. Don't, don't do that. Because as we look at the end of Hebrews this morning, that's our therefore statement. That's our what do we do now statement. We're gonna look at this last chapter and a half and see that this isn't just a bunch of greetings. It isn't just a bunch of, hey, I'm wrapping up my letter here sincerely, therefore be nice to each other, amen, go in peace. There's, there's meat on the bones here and we need to dig in as we end our series. Where do we go from here? And so this morning, last week, our call was to faithfulness. We shifted our focus. All along, we've been looking at God's limitlessness, which is a word I'm making up and deciding is a real word, limitlessness. Um, We've been looking at that all through the series, his faithfulness, our access to him, his holiness, his grace, all is limitless. And then we shifted last week and said, our response, therefore, we need to be faithful because God is faithful to us even when we aren't faithful to him. We need to be faithful, our call to faithfulness. And this week our response is worship. How do we, after encountering a God like this, the ultimate man, the ultimate God, the ultimate priest, the ultimate sacrifice, what is our response to encountering that? Our response is worship and not just worship in singing. I appreciate the worship team, I appreciate the choir. Singing in worship is important, but let's not limit it to that. Our worship is not limited to music. Thankfully, as somebody who carries very little musical skill set in this personage, I am really glad that worship is not limited to music, although I appreciate it. 
So let's talk about worship and let's talk about our call. As we end Hebrews, I wanna challenge us all to hear the call to worship at the end of Hebrews. And our first call is to worship in unity. In chapter 12, we're gonna end with a little bit of chapter 12 and all of 13. Worship by its very nature is a unifying activity. It's also a major role of the church and the church being the people, not the building. It's a major job of the church to worship. That is part of the reason we exist and therefore it should bring unity in the church. It's a major function of the church and in doing it, we are fulfilling part of our calling, but it is a function of the church, not a person or people in the church. It is not my job to worship for the church. It's not the worship team's job to worship for the church. It is our job as a church to worship together. When we stand shoulder to shoulder with other believers in worship, it should drive us together as we go towards God. We are called to worship together and that should bring unity. When our focus goes upward, we forget the little side squabbles, or we should. Those should become less as he becomes more. And worship should drive us together in unity. And so Hebrews gives us the same call, starting in verse 14. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. Make every effort. Make every effort. That is a big call on us as a church. As we engage in worship, make every effort to worship in unity. Make every effort. If we are making every effort to live in peace, and if we are making every effort to live as holy people, unity should come easy and naturally, and dissension should be hard. Because we are making every effort to pursue God, and we are making every effort to live as God has called us to live. But in case we're still missing the call to unity, the author goes on. See to it, they say. See to it. In other words, there's some action steps we have to take to pursue unity. It's not just going to happen. See to it. See to it that no one falls short. That isn't calling people out. That's not what see to it means. See to it that no one falls short does not mean you know, going online, that does not mean following people around and taking notes of everything they do. That is not seeing to it that no one falls short. See to it means that we need to be in each other's lives. We need to be caring. We need to be compassionate. We need to be with each other. Where is a brother or sister in Christ hurting and we are not lifting them up? See to it. Where is a brother or sister in Christ not being seen anymore, and we see it, and we're doing nothing about it. See to it. That's the call there to see to it. The see to it is a call to be aware of the hurts and the pains in our community. See to it. See to it that no bitter root grows up. Where is gossip causing division? Where are hurtful words causing division? Where in this division is bitterness taking hold? and we no longer trust anybody. See to it 
that no bitter root is allowed to stay and grow up. Where in our own lives we need to dig out that bitterness, root it up, see to it. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or godless. Sexual immorality is rampant in our culture, online, in person, whatever. See to it. And again, this isn't see to it in the same way of like keeping track of somebody else's. It's talking about us. And, and the author, so that we don't miss this, goes right into this tale of Esau who sold their birthright. It's not just about sexual immorality. It's about lifting anything up higher than God. Where have we personally lifted something up as more important? Esau, for, for the sake of a meal, I mean, I get it, I get hungry sometimes. Hanger is a real feeling. But where have we to satisfy a temporary desire lifted up something that shouldn't be lifted up? And we've put it up over God. And maybe that temporary thing is not for you, sexual immorality, or for me. Maybe it's power. Maybe it's control. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's uh, position. Maybe it's how people see you, appearances, making sure that everything looks good on the outside. Where have we lifted those things up? See to it. These all affect our worship and therefore our unity. After all this teaching in Hebrews about who Jesus is, the only fully God, fully man, perfect priest and sacrifice, do not sell that birthright for something temporary. See to it. As we worship, we are in unity. As we pursue unity, we are called to care for our sisters and brothers in Christ. Those around us and around the world worship in unity as we worship our creator. Our first call. Our second call is to worship in reverence and awe. Worship should bring us into the presence of an almighty God. Our natural response should be worship and reverence and awe. When we encounter God, there's a reason that all throughout scripture, when people encounter holy beings, angels, or, or, or Jesus, or, that they fall down in reverence and awe and worship. There's a reason that Moses, after encountering God uh, face to face, the Bible says, is so radiant that people ask him to cover his face. Encountering God in that way should bring reverence and awe. Verse 18, wrapping up chapter 12. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoke to them. Because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens." The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, the created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, 
Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. And once again, put yourselves in the shoes of the original people reading this. This touches a nerve for them. As people who grew up on the old covenant, who grew up in the Old Testament as the only scriptures. When, when the author unpacks this idea of coming to a mountain of God, and he's saying, hey, you didn't come to a mountain like they did. He's referencing what happened when, when the Israelites came out of Egypt. They come out of Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, and they come to this mountain of God. And at the mountain of God, God himself descends from heaven to earth and sits on the mountain, and Moses goes up. And it was terrifying. The reverence and awe was natural because it was right in front of them. We read in Exodus 19, this description, Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace and the whole mountain trembled violently. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. Talk about an intense experience. And Moses goes up and and they're told, like, like God says it multiple times, don't let anything touch the mountain, Moses, except you. When you come up, only you. And then when when God says it again, he goes, remind everybody. And Moses basically looks at God and says, they're so terrified, I don't think we have to worry about it. He says, I don't care. Go tell them again not to touch the mountain because they will die. The experience they have at that mountain is intense. And reverence and awe were natural. But look at what our author tells us. We don't have that physical mountain, but we are coming here as a community of believers into the church of the firstborn, Jesus, where we're standing in God's presence, where where the same God that had to be, the closest he could be was on the top of a mountain, the God that had to be separated into the Holy of Holies, isn't there anymore. He's with us. His spirit is here. The God we worship, we join in that worship in heaven with all the holy beings, angels, and other believers. That should incite reverence and awe even more so than the terrifying mountain of God. And Israel's story is a continual story of hearing God speak and then drifting away. And our author brings it up again, see to it. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. And it's not long after the Ten Commandments. So, so whether you grew up with the Charlton Heston version of the Ten Commandments or the VeggieTales version of the Ten Commandments, we are all aware at some level of what happened at that mountain. Moses comes out with the Ten Commandments. But the one thing that they kind of get wrong in both those versions is Moses goes up, he gets the Ten Commandments, and he comes down. It wasn't that short. He was up there for a long time. Because he's getting like, a lot of, of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, the laws, that's where he got them. So Moses is up on this mountain for days, for a long time. And the smoke and the trumpet and the, the turbulent fire and all this kind of stuff is happening. And Exodus 32 tells us. And notice, sorry, before I, before I get there, you can leave it on the screen. That's my fault. I jumped ahead. Exodus 19 is where God shows up on the mountain. Moses goes up in Exodus 19. We're in Exodus 32. He's still on the mountain. Everything that's happened in between there, Moses is on the mountain. Sit down and read it sometime. It's a long story. Exodus 32. When the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, 
Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses, who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. How quickly they drifted away. Reverence and awe, we can respond one of two ways. We see the majesty and the power and we can push into it and say, God, I, I don't get it. I'm scared. You're a big God and I'm not, and I want it, but I need to be near this God. Or we can push back and say, you know what? That sounds like authority. That sounds like confession and repentance. That sounds like these things that I don't want to do, like humility. God, I'm going to do like the people of, of Israel. I'm going to worship my own gods because they don't call me to things. They don't require me to worship in reverence and awe. I can worship them however I feel like it, however it benefits me. The call for us is to worship in reverence and awe, to not forget that we are worshiping a mighty God. And so where is our worship too tame? Where have we so boxed up God that we might as well be worshiping our own golden calf? Where is our worship too tame? And I think this is a real thing hitting our church right now because I feel like with all this stuff going on and other stuff happening in our church and in our community in Watertown, I think there's a spiritual attack going on. And I think we forget who we have on our side. We have an awesome God and we need him. We cannot do this on our own. If we try as a church to reach our community, if we try as a church to be unified, if we try as a church to be repentant and humble people, we can expect the enemy to come at us. And if we try and fight the enemy off on our own power, we're worshiping a golden calf. We need God. And so I'd ask you as a church to come and pray with us. Not physically when we do it. I mean, you're welcome to come then too. But I mean constantly, continually be in prayer for your church. We want to influence and impact this community for God, not for ourselves. For his glory, not for ours. And when we do that, we can expect attack. So we need this church to be a church of prayer. And we need to worship in reverence and awe, and our third call is to worship in action. Our unity as believers and our awe and wonder of God should propel us to take that message forward. It should drive us to action. We are not called to a monastic faith. We are not called to, to sequester ourselves from the world. We are not called to separate and pull away. We are called to engage. We are called to action. Chapter 13, keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by, doing, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitalities to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Worship is an action word. Worship is a verb. 
Worship is a call to action. Look at all of these steps. Look at all of these things in our text. These are things that we are to do. We don't just step back and say, all right, I'm gonna worship. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I, I see God in reverence and awe, and now I'm gonna step back and just stay in this spot by myself in awe and reverence. We're called to move forward. Hospitality, to open up ourselves, our lives, and our church to our community, to welcome them in. We're called to mercy. When it talks about visiting those in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering, and I think we should re- we'd be well to remember Jesus' words in Matthew. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Show mercy to people, not based on how they came to be in need, but because they are in, in need of mercy. Marriage, we are called to purity. If we are in a marriage relationship, we are called to purity. If we are not in a marriage relationship, we are called to lift God up the same way. We still have the challenge to remain faithful to God. Purity is worship in action, no matter our relationship status. Money. Our call here is the same as it is in marriage. Where are we letting money be the driving force? Where have we lifted up money over top of God? We are called to be content with him and him alone. Do not replace your sense of security in Christ with monetary or relational security. Our final call this morning to worship in obedience. We are called to obedience, and this section in Hebrews is longer, um, but it, and it has a lot of that stuff that I said we tend to skip over, but don't skip over all of it. In fact, don't skip, don't skip over any of it. Because it's a call to obedience, and where I said we need to be in prayer together, it's a, that same call. It's that call to pray, and we need to obey. We see our godly focus and remembering his authority drives us to humility in our worldly context as well. So first we see our obedience in Christ. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. There's a reason that I challenge people regularly No matter who is up on this platform, if we're sharing from scripture, be in scripture yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teachings. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by eating ceremonial foods, which is of no benefit to those who do so. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city. We are looking for the city that is to come. Through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name, and do not forget to do good and to share with others. For with such sacrifices, God is pleased. The call is to go out. Are we going to obey? 
The author is pointing out that, that as much as they brought in the blood of the sacrifice into the Holy of, play, the Holy of Holies, the body, the carcass of the sacrifice was hauled out. And it's this, it's this kind of complicated argument, but the point is, the author is saying, don't get sequestered. Don't hunker down. Don't, don't pull away. We are called to go outside the camp like Jesus did. Jesus died on a cross, a shameful Shameful way to die. And we're going to focus on that in the next couple of weeks as we move into, we're coming to the end of Lent and moving into Holy Week. There's going to be a focus on that. And the fact that he was outside the camp, that he was brought outside. And so we are called to obedience, the same obedience of Christ. The obedience to go outside of our comfort zone to have that conversation, to go outside of our comfort zone, to lift others up, to go outside of our comfort zone, to reach out to our community. And the passage gets back again to Jesus' sacrifice and compares the tabernacle to our eternal temple. And the idea being that if we know we are destined not for this temporary world, the secondary issues we should be able to set aside and live in obedience. But our passage continues with a call to obedience to authority. Have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy and not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. Pray for us. We are sure that we have a clear conscience and desire to live honorably in every way. I particularly urge you to pray so that I may be restored to you soon. Notice that the accountability is on God. We pray for our leaders in the church. We pray for our leaders in the community. We pray for our leaders nationally in the church and nationally in politics because their accountability, our accountability is to God. And someday leaders need, will stand before God and need to give an account. So our call is to pray for them. Not to pray for the outcome we want, but to pray for them. And finally, we are called to be in obedience as a community. Brothers and sisters, I urge you to bear with my word of exhortation. For in fact, I've written to you quite briefly. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released. If he arrives soon, I will come with him to see you. Greet all your leaders and all the Lord's people. Those from Italy send their greetings. Grace be with you all. We are called to be in obedience together. We are called to be in obedience as a community to God. God is our ultimate authority. God is the one that we follow. God is the one we pursue. And that is an act of worship. Obedience is an act of worship. Obedience is worship in action. We are not alone. We are called to be together, to lift each other up, to encourage each other, and to bear with one another. So, so pray. Pray for your leaders, pray for your church, pray for your brothers and sisters. And when I say pray for your church, again, I don't mean the building. I mean the people. Pray for your leaders, which I think creates a great segue into our next, our next thing. I'm gonna ask uh, Stuart to come up as he comes up. Um, Stuart is gonna share his testimony a little bit. Um, Stuart has applied, has asked to be an elder here in our, in our church. And uh, the elder board has 
gotten his application and reviewed it and recommends him for eldership. This is, he's gonna share his testimony in a few weeks. I'm not sure that we officially fully have a date set, but in a few weeks we'll hold the congregational vote um, that we'll ask you to vote. Um, to vote on, on Stuart coming on board as an elder, to be one of those people. The call to us as a church is to pray for Stuart, both now and, Lord willing, when he's an elder. So as you hear his testimony, hear it as a call to pray. All right, thank you. Morning, church. Well, I'll uh, start with maybe uh, telling you a little bit about uh, my upbringing. I grew up southwest Minnesota in a little town. Uh, well, it was in the country between the little town of Reading and Worthington, Minnesota. And uh, I uh, grew up in a Christian home. Uh, my parents were uh, very involved in church, uh, whether it be singing or teaching Sunday school or in some sort of leadership positions, etc. It wasn't uncommon when I was growing up to hear uh, conversations about uh, the Lord uh, at the dinner table, uh, and uh, there would be uh, conversations with extended family about uh, doctrine and theology and, and things of that nature. So I was very blessed to uh, have that upbringing. And, uh, and so I, I owe that to uh, my parents. Uh, in my early teens, I uh, decided that I wanted to read through the Bible. And so I, I, each night before bed, I would try to read the Bible. And I don't know what it was on one particular night, um, but uh, I, I came to understand that I needed to draw in the line in the sand for my relationship with the Lord. And so um, I knelt by my bed that night, and I asked the Lord to come into my heart. I confessed my sins to him. I acknowledged him as uh, my, my Savior, my God, and my Lord. And uh, I, I prayed to receive him. And then uh, a few years later, uh, I went to, it was June of uh, 1987, pastor asked if anyone wanted to go to the Sioux Empire Billy Graham Crusade in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I wanted to go. I was the only one um, that I recall uh, that went with the pastor that night. And uh, at the end of the service, uh, Billy Graham extended an invitation to people to come forward. I had already received Christ, but Billy Graham uh, said something that night that stuck with me. He says, you may never get another opportunity to stand before thousands of people and uh, witness to them your um, commitment and your resolve to follow Christ. And so I went forward that night and I recommitted my life to Jesus. And uh, that was a wonderful thing. I went home that night. Uh, and the pastor asked me on our, our drive if I wanted to share with the congregation the next morning. And so I was sitting there with my family. My parents had no idea what was going on. And I went forward at the end of the service, and I gave my testimony and that I had re recommitted my life to Christ that night. And uh, it, was, it was a wonderful opportunity to not only witness the night before, but then the following day to my local church family. Since that time, I've served in a variety of ways um, um, in the various churches in which we've attended. Uh, we've been attending here now for a uh, better part of 
plus years. Um, but uh, whether it be uh, helping with the youth or with Sunday school or various committees. Most recent committee was a pastoral search committee. And it's interesting, uh, back in the early 90s, uh, I was asked, you know, do you have a life verse? And that was a big thing. And, and I remember saying, well, I really like Psalm 1, uh, 1 through 3. And I'm sure many of you have it committed. Um, Blessed is the man who, is, is, uh, who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. And I like that, and for a long time. But I think that um, things kind of ebb and flow. And, and for me, what seems to happen is um, it's more of a phrase or a word that I am drawn to. And I am drawn to the word seek. And, um, and I love the scripture verses that talk about seeking. And I remember when we did the pastoral search committee, we were getting to know each other as a team. We were asked, what is our word? And so I thought and prayed about that a bit. And it, it was easy, right? The pastoral search committee, I chose the word seek. So it wasn't a big stretch. But um, uh, it's, it's one of my f- favorite things. And so I asked my son on the way to church today what his favorite TV show was. And then he asked me in return, what's yours? And, and Ethan, what's, what's my favorite TV show? Survivor. And reality TV, reality um, but uh, one of the things about Survivor is that uh, they have to seek hidden immunity idols. That's what keeps them safe and gets, allows them to continue playing the game. And so I like seeking. And then I just returned yesterday, as a matter of fact, went on a um, uh, spring break trip. And we were at the beach. And uh, I was drawn to the man. He's a retired man walking along the beach. He's got a backpack with his tools in it. He's got the metal detector. And I couldn't help but go talk to him. And he's just scouring the sand. And that wasn't enough. He went out into the water. It was a waterproof metal detector. So he's out there scouring where people might have lost some of their jewelry and treasures and things like that. And I'm drawn to that. And um, one of my uh, favorite verses here is Matthew 6.33, uh, the very beginning of it. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And this is Jesus speaking. And all these things will be added to you. And then another favorite of mine is, um, again, Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 13. And these have special meaning to me. And if you want to hear about those sometime, I'll share them. Um, But in summary, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and hid again, and from joy over it goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls, and upon finding one pearl of great value, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. And so I guess, um, you know, there's all kinds of verses about seeking. Uh, seek ye first the kingdom. And I just uh, am echoing, I think, what Pastor was saying is that we are seeking to follow the Lord and to do his will. And uh, that's why I would like to help and serve as one of your elders.
I'm, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray to, to end this portion of the service. So, Father God, I thank you for Stuart. I thank you for his family. Lord, this call to seek, God, help us to do that. Help us as a church to seek your will. Lord, not only with Stuart uh, desiring to come on the elder board, but God, to seek your face in all aspects of our ministry here. God, to seek your face in our kids' program and in our youth program. God, to seek who you are in our outreach, God, in our missions. Lord, to seek who you are in our communities and neighborhoods. So, Father, we, we worship you. God, not only in, in reverence and awe and unity, but God, in word and action and deed. And so I thank you for Stuart and this call and his faithfulness. For this your name, amen. A couple of quick reminders. Reminder, we do have the game feed this evening. I know as well this coming week, it's Watertown spring break, so that is affecting our Wednesday night programming uh, this week. So check out your emails to make sure you're up to speed on that, as well as Holy Week coming up in the, in the weeks to come. So... Uh, You may have noticed that I skipped some verses at the end of our passage in Hebrews. Um, I saved the benediction of Hebrews for our benediction this morning. So as you leave, uh, leave with these words in your heart and in your mind. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with every good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Have a great week. Thank you for listening to Messages and More, a ministry of Watertown Evangelical Free Church. To find out more, visit us online at wevfree.org.